Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Joe Amador of Amador Consulting. Joe is a friend of the podcast. He's been on the show before, but this is a total experiment between the two of us. So let us know what you think of it and we can do more of it if you like it. We unpacked the three most interesting recent mergers and acquisitions in the smart buildings industry and dove into why, our reaction to them, and other trends they're related to. So without further ado, please enjoy this Nexus M&A Roundup pilot episode. Hello, Joe. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Thank you. you uh, just for people that haven't. Uh, so Joe was on uh, episode two, and this will be something like episode 89, something like that. So it's, it's been a while since you were on the show. Uh, can, for people that haven't listened to that episode, can you uh, give yourself a little introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I work uh, as an independent consultant in the smart buildings space. My background is mostly product management. Spent a number of years at Johnson Controls, working on a cloud-based solution about 10 or so years ago at this point. Worked at Lucid, uh, now part of Acuity, but also one of the, I would say, in the category of the energy management uh, software uh, software solutions. Um, but over the past six uh, years, I've been working for myself, specifically working with some of those companies that need help on the product front. Um, that can be uh, specific things like competitive analysis, voice of customer, market sizing, helping them figure out the channel market uh, strategy they want to execute on. Do a fair bit of work with investors who are looking at commercial due diligence for specific deals. Uh, and then, you know, as you know, little projects come up or uh, you know, projects come up that don't quite fit into that. But really my core focus is the smart building space. So operational technology, sensor-based in commercial buildings usually, uh, and helping on the product market strategy front. Cool. And Joe, Joe's new to Colorado. So we're both yeah. got the Colorado I-25 connection going here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a little bit off of I-25, but uh, I guess a little bit, you can get there easily. Yeah. My wife, her family's in Nebraska. I'm from the Midwest. We have little kids. And I think uh, throughout the pandemic, it was, we were really far from all of our family. So we, we wanted to get closer, but it's hard to go from a flat Midwestern yeah. city like Chicago, where we met to uh, you know, a lot of mountains, a lot of just outdoors and, and then yeah. losing that. So we were trying to find that balance. And so, yeah. Cool. So, so for those of you that don't read Joe's newsletter already, we're going to put the newsletter in the show notes. Um, the impetus for this podcast conversation was I read Joe's newsletter and then I just like had an idea that the newsletter breaks down all these different M&A transactions that happen each month. What if we just kind of shot the shit on why these transactions are happening. So what our idea is to basically take the top two or three most interesting to us um, transactions that happen each month um, and kind of tell the why and our thoughts on those transactions. So again, this is an experiment. If you guys like this, let us know. Um, so I think why we want to talk about this and why you and I are both so interested in in M&A is because there's just like extreme, extreme market fragmentation. And it's been like that 
for as long as I can remember, but yeah. it's also getting seemingly worse every month. Yeah. So I have, you know, the Nexus vendor landscape and it's got, I think the last time I checked, it had about 275 different vendors on it. And this is not, as you know, this is not prop tech, like the huge umbrella of prop right. tech. This is not that. It's like the niche on OT data and energy and a little bit of like maintenance optimization, I'd say, is like what like yeah. back of yeah. the house type of software. So of that 275, maybe there's a few sort of like what, what I would call front of the house vendors, but like we're talking a lot of different companies in this pretty niche space at this yeah. point. And, and I'd also say as well, I don't feel like I have all of the vendors in Europe. I don't have all the vendors in Asia. Right. I think this is like, like it's, it's nowhere near complete. Um, yeah. And I still add eight to 10 new vendors every month. And so it's like, it's almost like this fragmentation problem continues to get worse. And then meanwhile, we have this M&A activity that seems to be picking up as well. So it's almost like there's yeah. a reaction from existing business community, existing investor community to say, okay, let's start to consolidate this. And so I think it'd be fun to just, yeah, unpack that uh, a couple of times a year. Um, I, I did want to like basically look at, give people a concrete example by what we mean by what, what I mean, at least by fragmentation and let you kind of sure. respond to that. If I look at, and I've done this, this writing recently, I've done this writing around the decarbonization journey. Like if I have a portfolio of buildings and I'm going to decarbonize that portfolio, my first step is this. And I have, you know, many steps along that journey to where I get to some sort of zero carbon um, end result that I'm looking for in 2030 or 2040 or 2050 or whatever. But if, if you look across that journey, today's building owners, today's portfolios literally have to switch between like, I, I think I'm at something like eight to nine different categories of software vendors right now. And most vendors do like stop in their little niche and they don't, they don't help along other parts of the journey at this point. Yeah, they're separate enough that they don't necessarily come together to say, let's partner, right? So I can yeah. hand you off. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, but yes. Yeah, and if you look about it from the vendor standpoint, they all have different clients, right? So if they partner with somebody else on the adjacent step in the journey, that's going to be a good partnership for one client, but it's not going to make sense for another client that they have. And so I think there's also confusion on the vendor side with like, how do we approach this? What do we do in order to really follow our clients along this journey that they're trying to go on? So it, I think it's a problem from all perspectives, not just people that are making spreadsheets or databases on all the vendors in this space. I think it's a problem for everybody. It's a problem for owners that are trying to buy new software, right? Um, and so, so what, are, what are your thoughts on the overall sort of fragmentation? Yeah, I'm glad that you have some actual quantification, right? To say you have a landscape. I informally try to track the, the market or segments of the market. I've done some market studies for clients that are looking at a specific part of the smart building landscape, you know, technologies to operate your, your real estate, your, your buildings more efficiently. And, you know, space utilization, for example, which may not even be really core in your landscape. I, I had a client that I think identified 75 plus companies that have a sensor. You can put it in a building. It'll measure people, measure movement. Uh, and, and 
you could argue there's probably more even than that. Uh, yeah. So you're both seeing companies enter the market because things like decarbonization, things like operating your real estate uh, more efficiently, in, in more in a, a condition-based way, not just a schedule-based way, uh, the return to work theme of just how do we bring people back and use our offices more, uh, more flexibly? Well, we probably need technology to help us. There's just a lot of big picture uh, drivers that are causing people to spend money on technology, which is causing people to invest in and causing new companies to emerge. That's creating more companies, but you're also seeing bigger companies look at this as a core part of what they want to offer. And a few of the the uh, at least one uh, of the M and A deals we're going to look at, I think, is is exactly this is a category of technology that fits in with our other categories. It dovetails in, if you will, and we don't do this very well today. Let's add it. Um, so for the, the the buyers, it's difficult because you have to figure out if you're buying these technologies or want to buy them. Who are the the leading vendors? The market's changing a lot, right? By the time you go through a cycle of who are the right vendors for me to consider in a more formal process? There may be more vendors. Some of those vendors may have been acquired. So you might look at that and say, oh, well, are they going to pivot away from what I really need them for, given that they've just been bought by this other big company that you know I, I can kind of read the roadmap to some degree based on the press release. So the fragmentation is a very real issue. I don't see it necessarily resolving anytime soon just because of a lot of these other trends in the market. Totally. Well, I think that's a good sort of intro to the, the three deals we're wanting, we're wanting to unpack today. Um, so the first one, so, so I think, again, I want to reiterate on your, your, your um, newsletter. Each newsletter probably has like 10 to 15 different things like this that have happened. Uh, and yeah. they come out every month, right? So we're just, picking, we're just picking three that we think are important from the last couple of months. Notable in, in some way, yeah. Yeah. So the first one's um, IBM buying Invisi. Um, and so you, do you want to just sort of start us off by sort of explaining kind of yeah. what, what each of, like, what's the overall trend here, I think, first? And right. then what does each company do separately? And why would that be sort of interesting to combine them? Yep. So I think the, the, there's a couple of big themes I see here. One, of course, is energy management in real estate, and you could say energy management and ESG in real estate uh, is becoming, it has, has been top of mind. I mean, my time at JCI, this is exactly what we were doing. It was 10 years ago. This is a top of mind issue. Uh, it's though at the same time, not necessarily an independent standalone software category, or I think IBM looks at this and says, this isn't necessarily something that needs to be standalone. Um, so that, that's a big trend. You see real estate companies, you see corporates looking at commitments to reduce carbon emissions. You also see them look at ways, can, ways to, to reduce just operating costs. Energy is, is usually a big cost. You have $253 per square foot per year, uh, probably higher in Europe. That's at least in the US. Uh, large corporation with millions of square feet, they're spending a lot on energy. Uh, and there's also data 10, 20, 30, 40, even some cases, percent of the energy may be wasted. So a lot of opportunity just to cut cost out with better data. Um, that though, that value proposition because of the fragmentation can be hard for a vendor, especially an independent smaller vendor to, to, to really use to drive a lot of sales. Um, hmm. So that's, I think the solution that's being brought to the market. There's obviously other components, actual identification of inefficiencies in your building. You know, 
there's your, the schedules of your HVAC system are very wrong compared to how your building is used. And Invisia, you know, goes there too. But broadly, it, it, it's about ma managing these data, providing uh, an, an ability to drive cost reduction through energy spend or energy savings, and also supporting some of this emerging reporting around ESG. IBM, interestingly enough, they have some businesses that dovetail nicely, right? They have Maximo Asset Management. They have Tririga. Tririga is interesting in that 10 years ago or so when it was acquired by IBM, a lot of the messaging was very similar to what, what Invisi does around carbon inventory, hmm. uh, uh, developing a carbon inventory, energy management. Now, when you look at, at the Tririga website, it's very much focused on being an IWMS, which is Integrated Workplace Management Solution. You could think of that as bringing elements of a CMMS, an asset management solution, uh, kind of a tenant-facing solution, bringing all of that together. There's been a lot of transactions there. I think we'll talk about that later. But the Invisi piece fits nicely there. Um, you, you have facility managers, facility operators. They're tracking assets. They're maintaining assets. They're repairing things. They want to operate the workplace more efficiently. They want a data solution to help just track who's doing what. Uh, a, a good number I've seen, and, and this is a, a kind of a rough number, but I think uh, IFMA, the International Facility Management Association, in terms of number of facility staff per building, the number I've seen there is between one FTE per 50 to 100,000 square feet. Uh, okay. That can include janitorial staff, but in some cases, the, the janitorial staff is doing some of the facility management. So you think of a, a campus of 10 million, 5 million square feet, big corporate, they might have dozens of people on staff doing various types of facilities. So having a software solution versus having paper makes a lot of sense. So then yeah. you look at, well, okay, well, the facility management team is, is probably somewhat concerned with energy. Maybe more and more in the future, they're concerned with energy. Maybe the corporate office realizes if we want to hit our carbon emissions uh, targets, we actually need to operate our facilities more efficiently. The, the buildings yeah. are a huge part of our carbon footprint. So uh, Invisi dovetails really nicely there. Invisi, for its part, just a, a quick background on them, They've been around for a fair bit uh, of, of time. I, I'd say they're they're a longer standing vendor in this category of energy management, uh, sustainability management, than a lot of their peers. They were based in Australia, are based in Australia. They have staff in America. I think they have staff in Europe as well. Uh, they've always, I found them to be a little under the radar. And what I mean by that is the product I've always seen from my own, um, uh, you know, seeing their website, you know, you know, meeting people at conferences, getting quick demos, mm -hmm. very strong product. So in terms of just capabilities, breadth of capability, depth of capability, very, very strong. Uh, even people just word of mouth who have looked at it as a buyer have said, yeah, it's a really compelling product. But they've been a little under the radar in the US and that they're not always one of the top of mind vendors that no. somebody calls me and just says, I'm looking at some solutions. I thought you might want to compare notes for a few minutes. I'm happy to do things like that. And Disney doesn't always come up as, oh, we're looking at them as well. Um, you know, but the product is strong from everything I've seen. They typically do well on some of these analyst reports that you've talked about, uh, but, but that's the core of where they're at. They've also done a good job, I think, of expanding. They have a fault detection capability. There are companies that do fault detection well, and there's companies that do energy management well. And while there is some overlap, it's not like every company does both. And Vizzy's one where they, they do both. Um, yeah. Everything I've seen is they're, they're a strong company. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too, why it's compelling to me. When I, when I look at Invisi, and I've done some digging on them as well for a couple of different projects, they are, when I talked about how fragmented the decarbonization journey is, they're one of the rare vendors that you could put 
in like four or five different categories. They go from, yeah. you know, ESG reporting, like a measurable, they go from there all the way down to FDD, like you said. Yep. So it, yep. it, it, it's one of those rare firms that covers that almost entire journey. And, and what I think here that's interesting about a company like that, that's been doing for this for so long is that a company like IBM that's trying to sort of integrate you know, ESG into, like you said, the IWMS actually running a workplace. And, and companies like Invisi have so many pre-built integrations already. So they're automating utility bills, things yeah. like that, that, that have just already been done. And so I think there's a, a ton of value to a company like that as well. Like if you're starting from scratch and you're like, how are we going to get utility data, <laughs> right? Utility yeah. data is like the like cornerstone of, ESG, right? It's basically like, what are we using? And five years later, are we doing what we said we were going to do, right? All of that depends on utility data. And the companies that have been doing this for a while didn't used to be very sexy. Like an Invisi 10 years ago was not a sexy company. And now it's like, oh, you've built all this automation around utility data. That's now somehow really sexy. And more so, even just understanding, you look at a utility bill, I mean, we get utility bills for our homes. Of course, most people I think would. Yeah, the, the analytics, it's not just getting the data, yeah. it's it's being able to create insights from that utility data that an energy yeah. engineer might, if they were looking at it. Yeah, making it actionable, being able to translate, you have the, these data and then being able to figure out, well, what does all this mean? Is there a problem? Having just that knowledge, it's not necessarily technology knowledge. Right. So if you're good at building software, you might not know much at all about energy bills, utility bills. Right. So let me let me just like this is very similar to what I just said, but it's also my piece of skepticism around this deal. So if I look at this deal and I'm like, is this good for the industry as a whole, which is usually my lens. But I look at this deal and I'm like, is IBM trying to make because if you look at their press release, it's a lot about consulting. Um yeah. Are they trying to make their consultants' jobs easier, right? Or are they trying to actually, like, I think there's a dichotomy here. There's, like, make consultants' job easier, which to me means I have external consultants coming in to help building owners with their decarbonization journey. And, like, that strikes me as a problem somehow because I, even though that's a really good thing that they're doing that, but I think it's a problem because what I see as like the final solution that we need to get to, like as a society, is that they've integrated decarbonization into their entire strategy, their entire business. Every layer of the business needs to be thinking about this and integrating better practices into their, their ways of doing business, right? And so if this is a bolt-on, let's take Invisi and bolt it on and only the consultants are going to use it, right? That, that's my piece of skepticism when I think about this deal. What, what do you think? My sense from looking at it, just again, reading the press release, knowing the industry, knowing, knowing what I know about the space, there's probably going to be a fair bit of effort to bring current uh, Maximo and Tririga clients on board to Invisi as well. And just this is an integrated platform. I think one of the things I've generally seen is while we have new categories of technology, space utilization is a great one. Indoor air quality, you could argue, especially with the pandemic, has become uh, an interesting area. We want to track and monitor air quality. Uh, maybe we integrate with our BAS so, so that we can ventilate more. Maybe we just monitor for now and, and that gives us data. You have this uh, challenge for a commercial real estate or corporate real estate facility leader or workplace leader or real estate leader. Do you start buying more products from more vendors and have more vendor relationships? 
I think generally they would prefer not to have more vendor relationships if, if, yeah. if possible. So there's one play where IBM can say, look, we, we checked not only all, you know, already we know Invisi is a complete platform, but we're checking even more boxes with, with more product. Um, I, I think a lot of these companies also are, are moving to more just professional services, tech-enabled services. I don't think IBM's unique from that point of view. So I think this, this does give them the opportunity to, to do that as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Any other similar deals? I mean, you mentioned this trend of bolt-ons in your LinkedIn yeah, article yeah. that we'll also put into the, the show notes. Any other similar trends, similar yeah. deals that look like this one? Yeah, there was, there was well, um, I think it was MRI bought late last year, Eastside Energy. Eastside's actually a pretty good comp to Invisi uh, in terms of, of everything they do. Um, yeah. They, uh, I don't know if I would, yeah, definitely... Uh, known in the U.S. market, based in England, had a, an office though, in, in I think in the Midwest. So they were a known entity. They'd been around a while as well. So they weren't just we entered the market three years ago. We've we've grown a huge amount. We've created a splash. We got acquired. Um, so and, and MRI obviously is just a real estate software platform. So they're already in real estate. They're already focused on selling to real estate owners, operators. And then this is just almost another module that they can bolt on. Yeah. Okay. You had mentioned when we were prepping for this, KPMG is partnering with Nantum. What's interesting is to look at the dynamics of partnering versus acquiring, even in some cases investing in. Um, hmm. Obviously, Invisi is a pretty mature company, so an acquisition there by IBM makes sense. But in other cases, you could argue a partnership, uh, you know, Nantum being kind of a smart building platform, has some, has some of these same uh, elements from operations, energy management, so on and so forth. Um, and, and, and KPMG, not exactly a peer of IBM, but doing a lot with corporate clients, it, the, the leaders at the company that are probably top of mind thinking, I need to plan around uh, ESG and just yeah. reduce carbon emissions. Uh, and KPMG is probably looking at that and saying, yeah, we don't just want everything to be in spreadsheets and, and you know, we want more than spreadsheets. Totally. Yeah. What's coming to mind right now is, is I don't have a lot of background around a company like get, Invisi getting bought. How much are other companies going to want to partner with them now that they're bought, purchased by IBM? Like if you're thinking about like, and I don't know, I'm just throwing a name out there, but like think about like a plan on that's like an IWS competitor to Tririga. Yep. Will plan on be able to lean on Invisi for this, like as an application that sits on top of plan on, or will it just be basically like now they're, they got to go find somebody else. And so that's an interesting like thought about the future of this is I thought the future of this industry would be, we have these platforms, we have these applications that are really good at what they do. They sit on top of these platforms, right? But the more and more of these applications, like specific functional applications get purchased, that limits the, the partnering, that limits the yeah. you know platform play, I guess, uh, long-term. Companies can become a little bit hand, hands-off of a potential partner because they're looking beyond what does this mean? You know, we're not just yeah. partnering with Invisi, we're partnering with IBM. I, I yeah. haven't heard anything specific on, on, on this one, but I know that can be a concern in some cases. Uh, you know, small companies, two small companies partnering with each, with, with each other can be challenging simply because, uh, you know, they're both small, they're both very cognizant of their position in the market. They're very much focused on growth, but at the same time, a small company partnering with a really big company there, there can be a dynamic where you lose some market power. So yeah, I would think an acquirer would look at that situation and say, look, we have enough existing clients to bring onto this platform. We'll, uh, 
replace and more any clients we might be losing. Totally. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I just never thought about that until we had this conversation on the air, like that dynamic. So fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Good on deal. Number one. Yeah. Deal. Number two um, view buying RX well and Iodium. Um, and so could you give us a little overview yep. of what view does? Yeah. So, so view makes, uh, basically self tinting windows, right. And, and if you go to their website, I think a lot of airports, this is something, uh, this is a, a vertical that they focus on obviously office buildings, but the windows themselves, there's an electric current that can shade them, right? So you don't need window shades. What's interesting is window shades actually is a fairly significant business. A lot of the lighting controls companies own window shade companies uh, <laughs> because there, there's a balance between, especially now you want more daylight, but you want people to be you know, less light means you're probably less productive. Natural light is obviously good, but too much light and, and your building will heat up and then you have to cool it more uh, in the summer in, in particular. Uh, moreover, if you just look at new buildings being built, it's all a curtain wall system where it's just, the, the walls basically are windows, the exterior yeah. ones, that is. Um, so, so View has been around for a while. They went public via actually a, a SPAC, maybe last, well, it would have been maybe late, late 2020, early 2021. Um, and that business is, is I, I would argue, somewhat dependent on construction, uh, replacing windows of an existing building. While I'm, I'm sure that's doable, uh, a lot of new oh, buildings or new expansions of buildings, that's where you're going to see new windows. Um, so the, the website also, there, there's an image I remember, you know, when I was writing about this deal in my newsletter, um, and they've actually made two acquisitions, but there's kind of an image where the, the windows themselves can show images. And, and I think there's one on their website where it actually shows almost like an aquarium setting in a conference room. Uh, huh. So the windows can do a lot more, right? Like you could argue uh, this is get the windows in, you know, deliver a benefit on we help with daylighting, which workers like. We also, though, can help with cooling um, and less components that can break, you know, or, or that need yeah. maintenance around window shades. But mm -hmm. once you have the windows in, look at everything else we can sell to you. Uh, look at what else we can do. I think what's happening here. So RXR Realty, big realtor, uh, or realty company based in New York, a lot of offices in New York, very much forward looking. Uh, you go to conferences and somebody from, from RXR will probably be there speaking. Um, they actually started their own kind of product business, if you will, within there, and they had a, plat a platform called Workswell, which was really a workplace solution, um, didn't have its own sensors, as I understand, but would integrate with sensors. And the, the whole idea was, if you're in our building, or you're in a building, you want to interact with that space from change settings in a room, find a space, book a space, they, they have a platform to do that. And uh, Iodium, more of a kind of an, a, a data play within buildings, getting data out of buildings, serving it up in an integrated way. I think James, you have good knowledge of Iodium, but what this generally looks like from my point of view is one view is, is trying to expand on what do we do with the windows beyond just helping with shading and helping with just the overt comfort in the space and efficiency of, of the windows, um, which is obviously a strong, compelling uh, value prop, but, but there's more you can do there. But they looked at this and said, look, we need some components. We need some capabilities touching the, the employees touching the occupants, touching the tenants through works well, makes a lot of sense. Iodium probably gives them some of that data infrastructure they need to, to bring all this together. And I would also say more broadly, 
I, I would assume they view where they're going as somewhat white, a white space, right? So there's no, it, it's not so much we're buying these companies and we're going to go compete with this large company that's already dominant. It's white space and they're trying to be more dominant. And I think that's mm -hmm. a general theme. I'm also seeing when, when you look at smaller companies buying, companies merging, their view, I believe, is there's white space here. We want to be in a good position to take advantage of that white space. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, the, the thing that I thought of when I saw this was first, like you just said, they're mostly playing in the construction or like large renovation area. Mm -hmm. And these are two companies that are playing in the operation of the, of the building area. Yep. And so it's like, what, how can we be a bigger part of the building's life cycle? Right. Yep. Um, but I guess this fits another trend. That's just like a pet peeve of mine that I think people have seen me write about, seen me, seen me, heard me talk about, which is we have a device company. If, if things are going where everything is connected and everything is connected to a central platform, the biggest thing we need is all of the devices in the building, which smart windows are just like one of 40 different types of devices in a building, right? And if you look at a portfolio of buildings, you have 10, 20, 30 different ones across the entire portfolio for each of the individual silos. We call them silos in the foundations course. I think the best thing is that every individual device company makes their data available in a way that the, the centralized platform can um, ingest it and then makes their controls capabilities available to be commanded from a, a central location as well. So it's more about interoperability in my mind. And what I, what I feel like we're seeing this trend that makes me mad is like the device company doesn't say, hey, we need to make our data more available. The device company says, hey, we need to get a more dominant position. We need to swallow up more of the smart building stack than we, current, than we used to have before. And so that's like my rant that I like to say, because I would call out density here as well. Density is the same way where they're an occupancy counting device. Sensors, right? right? The core is sensors to measure movement and, and yeah. space, yeah. And they have a full stack so they can get the data to the cloud so the analytics can function, right? The, the people counting analytics. But what they're doing is like or acquiring Helix, right? As one of the acquisitions that they've made recently. Yeah, is in a death booking company, software application, I think not Nashi or Nashi, yeah. So they're trying to become more and more a full stack company than they were before rather than just sticking to like, hey, we're gonna count people and we're going to serve that data up to whoever needs it and whoever can function with it the best. So what, what do you think of my, of my sort of pet peeve there? Well, I think it's, a, it's an accurate observation. I think there's interesting dynamics at play in the, the market where this market, as you know, of course, but the viewers may not, you've had very much a market of closed ecosystems. And even 
BACnet, which is the core building automation protocol, at least the, the, probably the number one in America, maybe worldwide, but especially for large com commercial buildings. I mean, being on BACnet doesn't mean it's 100% open, right? Um, yeah. it, there, there's still all kinds of, of ways that you know, going into a building that has a BACnet building automation system doesn't mean it's just plug and play. The analogy I like to use is if you buy a peripheral for your computer, probably has USB or now USB-C, it's not like oh, but this might not actually work with mine. I have to go hire somebody to, to help me figure out how do I get my camera to work with my computer. Yeah. But that is in some ways, even with the standards, how it works in buildings. So there's a long history of this. I think there's a lot of interest on the part of the buyers to be more open or to have more open options. But yeah. at the same time, their existing real estate probably isn't that open. Uh, which might lead them to find the vendors that have already installed their solutions to help them, you know, open them up or just help them just expand what, what they're doing. It's a challenge. And I think other vendors would look at that situation and say, oh, look, having your own stack, having your own kind of closed or somewhat closed stack, there's a lot of advantages there for us, right? We, once we have, you know, to take this example, we have our windows in the building. The windows are not being ripped out in five years because the software doesn't work as well as they want. You know, mm -hmm. it's much like, you know, building automation systems, you're you're rarely just ripping a building automation system out because you want a better uh, interface. There, there's other reasons you're going to update your building automation system, but it's probably not because of the yeah. app's terminal, so so on and so forth. Um, so I, I share your interest in in getting to a more open place. It's interesting. I've I've done some research on the European market. They use KNX as a control, one of the standard control solutions, uh, automation systems. There's a lot of reasons why it's just much more open. Uh, I won't go into all the details. But it's, it actually is close to this plug and play example I give of, you know, you buy a product that's on KNX, you have a, a building that's running KNX, you actually can, everything just works. Yeah. Um, so there's an analog out there you can point to to say, look, this is good for the market. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah. I think what, what you said before we hit record is it's, that's not a good, like they'd rather have recurring revenue, right? Well, <laughs> they, that, they'd rather have software company valuations. Well, that, that's an, another one, right? And I don't know specifically for, for Vue, but selling a, a hardware a hardware equipment, one, you're, if, if you're kind of tying your wagon to construction, as there's more or less construction, that can make your earnings look kind of up and down. Um, additionally, if most of your revenue is for selling the equipment up front, there isn't that recurring revenue. There's definitely a premium on recurring revenue businesses. Just we've seen that across the board. Um, and you could say for good reason. Uh, so for companies to say, we, we want to have more of a recurring revenue component, I think is 100% natural. Uh, and in buildings, you know, historically, there hasn't been as much recurring revenue. A lot of building automation systems, you buy them up front, you have them for 10 years, you're probably paying for service, but the service is, is not really recurring revenue in the same way software is, right? Because you actually are rolling trucks. You actually have people, they're servicing the building. So the profit there won't look as lucrative or won't be as lucrative. Um, so I think that's natural, but, but that is another kind of undertone you could take from this. Uh, they're looking for, for, for maybe just, they want more recurring revenue and then maybe in the future want to be considered or thought of more as a software company. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think from a software company standpoint, the, the, the group they bought at RxR, they've produced some really interesting stuff. Like I remember they were the first one, in the pandemic that like, came out a couple months after COVID hit and it was yeah. like, we have this app built and it can ingest any sensor data and do all this yeah. stuff for the user. So yeah. it does seem like they have 
a lot of capabilities there that they may have purchased from the software yeah. development. I, I had met some of the team at um, at conferences. You know, going to conferences like Realcom is is a great opportunity. Uh, definitely thoughtful. I think coming from a a real estate company is is a really good uh, way to validate what you're doing, right? You actually have people totally. who are using this the solution. I also think um, from from it looks like RxR actually invested in a pretty big team. You know, a dozen, yeah. two dozen folks to work on the software side of how do we build software to make our, our real estate um, uh, run better. Uh, you could argue uh, or make the argument that having that type of capability within your real estate company moving forward, right, with uh, more flexible use of office, a little bit of uncertainty around, you know, how many people come back? When do they come back? What does that look like? That could be an interesting uh, piece of, or skill set, if, if you will, to have within your office uh, or your totally. company. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I met, I think it's Corey from RSR. Yeah, Corey, I think head of product. It's great, yeah. Yeah, he's great. And he's a he's a listener of the podcast. So if he's listened to this, I hope, hope to get him on the show and he can kind of set us straight here. Um, all right, the app that they built though, that View purchased is in this next category that we want to talk about, the third. Yeah. And this really isn't one acquisition, it's a bunch of acquisitions. So can you talk about this trend in the workplace yeah. platform? Area. Yeah. So generally, it's funny. Before the pandemic, uh, a lot of people were talking about tenant amenity apps. And I don't think that's a bad term. But the idea was, I'm an office worker. Maybe I'm uh, my, my company owns the real estate, so I'm just an employee of the company. Maybe I'm a tenant. But this idea of, can we improve the experience in your office by an app on your phone? And, and it might sound, oh, that's just way too simple. The buildings are big and complex. There's actually a lot you can do on, on your phone, simple things like you forget your key card. Uh, I remember when I was in Australia, I was talking to, a, I think, a chief engineer who said they, they had been trying different types of replacements for key cards from biometric, I think, facial recognition on a test basis. And I think one of the, the themes that came out of that discussion was some of these have a 5% failure rate. So that means of every 20 people who are trying to get into the building, one of them will have to go to the front desk and say, oh, my, I think it was more facial recognition than thumb. Thumb sounded like it was a little more reliable. They said like, that's a really big problem when you have a building that's 50 floors and a couple yeah. thousand people work here, maybe more. If mm -hmm. you know, 5% of them have to come to the front desk for those two to three hours in the morning, I need a third person just to manage that demand. Because obviously we've all been yeah. to offices for meetings. You check in, you, maybe you can do it. You do a pre-check now so you get in more quickly. That was notably uh, costly and inefficient and enough for them to say, you know, we don't want that. But people do forget their key cards as well. So uh, if you can put that on your phone, that makes sense. Uh, additionally, I think post pan or during the pandemic and now looking at what is what are, what are, what are things, in how do we interact with our offices after the pandemic? Well, you look at, at more of a hybrid work style where you don't have a desk, you can just book a desk. Well, if you come yeah. into the office, do you want to book the desk by using your laptop and opening it up and finding a place to work? Do you go in the night before? I've seen this where you can go in the night before and reserve a desk. Really doing it on your phone makes a lot of sense. And, and then even just finding a conference room, you go to an office for the first time or a floor on an office you haven't been there before, just being able to find where you're going. So there's a lot of reasons that the phone itself can be a nice interface for, for making the office uh, a little bit less challenging to use. Uh, you also, before the pandemic, I mean, there were all kinds of cases. I'd go visit clients and finding a conference room was really challenging. Just you find the conference room, uh, 
on the system, right? You book it and then it takes you five minutes to get there. And in some cases you didn't get there within five minutes, you lost the booking. Um, <laughs> so there's just all kinds of reasons that uh, that was, was maybe a critical touch point. If we don't have assigned desks, every think back to before the pandemic, when you had meeting after meeting in conference rooms, you were trying to book conference rooms, somebody came and talked to you and you realized, wait, I have half an hour. Let's go find a conference room and whiteboard this out. Well, we have to find yeah. a room. You could argue that's going to happen on a much more uh, uh, smaller basis for every single desk in an office. Oh. Uh, I don't think it, it will be that that frustrating uh, every, every day for every employee, but it's the same idea. Like if you're trying to find a desk for today or for this morning or this afternoon, having data to point you where to go, allow you to book it, allow you to, 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 to use it makes a lot of sense. Um, mm -hmm. So that's generally the workplace category. You also have maybe related to that this integrated workplace management solution category, which I would say includes those elements, includes elements of a CMMS or a uh, computerized maintenance management system, kind of work order management, uh, yeah. uh, can include asset management, can include a whole host of, of, of different things. Guest management, right? Now you have solutions where if you come to visit an office, you can just sign in on a, on a tablet, especially co-working does this a lot, automatically sends an email or a text message to the person who you're meeting, they'll come and get you. It's all very automated, right? It works mm -hmm. well for everyone involved, I would argue. So there, there's all kinds of solutions or apps in the workplace, um, and you're seeing some consolidation here. Generally, it's a pretty open white space. Um, there aren't a lot of modern workplace uh, platforms that if you looked five, 10 years ago, were dominant in the market. Uh, you had, yeah, okay. again, CMMS has been around for a long time, but that was really more focused on the facility staff, not the, the, the users of the space. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of deals here simply because this is viewed as very much a white space. There are companies that are touching the workplace or are in the workplace and want to grow beyond it. And, and they're all merging, making acquisitions. We'll get to some of the details, so on and so forth. Okay. Yeah, what are some of the companies that have been doing this? I mean, we just talked about RxR and Vue. That's, I'd say that's one that fits in this category. What else? Um, so VTS is, is more of a, they started, uh, there was actually a merger between I think Hightower and VTS years ago. It was kind of one of the first really big success stories within prop tech more broadly. Um, so they're more of a, kind of a platform for, for real estate more broadly, but they bought two companies. One was Rise or Rise Buildings and one was Lane. Rise Buildings, uh, earlier, younger company, but had some elements of, of this workplace, you know, workplace tenant management. And then Lane was one of the leaders, at least from, from my view as an outside observer, of just the app that the staff could use to interact, if you will, with their office space. So that was one HQO, which was maybe the company that uh, was most notable within the workplace category. Um, we sell to companies that want to deliver an app and a technology enabled interface for all their employees. Um, they bought a company office app, which was European based. So that was again, similar capabilities, just trying to expand. Um, space IQ, so Space IQ is interesting because uh, Arquebus, very old, uh, uh, well-known brand within more CMMS, but asset management. I think a lot of their legacy business is still on premise. They, I think, merged or acquired Space IQ, but kept the Space IQ name. They also bought Cerebu, which was again, platform again in this workplace space. Um, they merged with iOffice, which was also a, a, a pretty well-known fast growth IWMS. So they merged together. So you have a lot of different companies um, kind of focused on this space in one way or another. Um, mm. But all I think looking at, this is a category. The other thing I, I should note, you have 
corporates just hiring workplace staff. You, you had a real estate team, you had a facilities team, maybe you're growing your workplace team. There's components uh, on an HR point of view, a better office attracts better employees, keeps, you know, it helps with retention, so on and so forth. But how do we actually operate that space? Uh, hmm. And then there's even questions, you know, how much space do we need? Well, we need data to inform. There's also the, the trend of, we want our space to be used more flexibly moving forward. So if yeah. we notice after six months, an area has, has, has really poor utilization, maybe we redesign it. And that of course is a physical change, but using data, um, I think the old way, you might actually hire a consulting team, a consulting staff or consulting team to come and actually sit and observe. Like, how is this space being used? We'll be here for the week. We'll take notes. We'll just sit, we'll observe. That's not uh, completely obsolete, but having data to match up with that can yeah. be useful. Uh, so there's a lot of places that the workplace uh, technology or workplace platform can go. And I think all of these companies view it as one, we want to reposition ourselves as not just a CMMS, maybe not even just an IWMS. We want to be from a more next gen workplace platform, but they're also looking at each other and looking at, at the space, the market and saying, you know, we want to beef up. We want to be a little bigger. Totally. Yeah. A key theme I think in this area is this, and maybe I don't know where I got this from front of the house and back of the house. Yeah. Right. So when I had Darlene Pope on the, on the podcast six or so months ago, she talked about how plan on, which is an IWMS yep. is really trying to bridge that gap. You know, they're doing the occupant facing app, but then they're also doing the CMMS um, yep. more back yep. of the house. Can we maintain yep. this thing better? Um, and IOT data kind of sits on that back of the house side of things, system yep. data, building automation system data, like yep. where Nexus typically plays kind of sits on that back of the house. But yeah. I think a trend here is that a lot of these companies are kind of bridging that gap and saying, well, what about a platform that runs the whole, the whole thing? Yeah. Right? What do you think there? Do you think there's like a actual dichotomy there? Or do you think, like, do you see the front of the house and back of the house, like merging together over time? Yeah. I think this is one area where it, it's actually logical for that to happen partially because a lot of this software is already in the cloud or is moving to the cloud. A lot of it is, uh, you know, when I think of the challenges in more of the traditional smart building space, you might have an on-premise building automation system that's 10, 20 years old. Integrating mm -hmm. and getting data out of it is actually pretty challenging. Oh, I yeah. think when you look at a CMMS, they could be on-premise of course, but, but they're moving to the cloud. Asset management, same thing. IWMS, a little more, I think, cloud native or you know, the companies there that seem leaders uh, appear to be leaders are in the cloud. So being able to pull together a variety of cloud assets, I believe is a little bit easier than, well, every building we go to, the integration implementation process is going to look completely different because we don't know what yeah. vintage or, or vendor your building automation system is. So um, you also can argue front of the house and back of the house, they depend on each other, right? The back of the house is there to make the experience of the front of the house better. Same time, mm -hmm. you can make it better if you can get more details from the front of the house on what do you want, right? If totally. you give the opportunity for a tenant or maybe it's tenanted space, but I'm the one who kind of runs the office, right? I'm the office manager I, I run. If I have a way to provide feedback to uh, not have to call somebody every time I need every single thing, I can use an app for some things. That also is beneficial for, their, for them as well. So this is one area where I, I think bridging the gap between those use cases or those maybe what is right now individual modules makes sense. What I would also though say is 
there are just a lot of companies in addition to those acquisitions, those mergers. Uh, we saw Envoy raise in January. I mean, you know, they raised 111 million. Um, Office Space is another company. They've been around for a while, but they raised, I think, 150 million. So these are really big rounds for companies yeah. that are making maybe not what they would think of a smart building software, but really, you know, real estate operational software that's data-driven, sensor-based. So there, yeah. there's a lot of companies that are fighting and will continue to fight for the, this space. And then you look at a Siemens, they bought Comfy a couple of years back. Comfy has a lot of these same characteristics. I know I, I've seen press releases from JCI that they have a tenant engagement app. I think uh, Schneider Electric ha has invested here as well. So there's a lot of different companies that are coming at this. Uh, Envoy, for example, they started as, as more of a guest management system, right? You come into the office, you want to meet with somebody, you sign in on the app or on the, 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 the tablet. It's probably a tablet. They saw that as, as one place and now they're expanding. Yeah. So there's just a lot of money there. Uh, I've talked to some facility management uh, consultants and just contacts that have said, one challenge is that a lot of buyers, you know, a, a head of workplace, head of real estate, they might be buying technology without necessarily having a good sense of what is the problem you're trying to solve. I also recall last fall going to a conference, speaking to a couple of these, um, I think it was a, a Cornet conference. So it was a lot of corporate real estate staff. And one of the things that was notable from a few of them was, you know, we're doing a survey every month, every two months, every three months for all of our employees to figure out when do they want to come back? What are they comfortable with? What does it look like a day a week, two days a week, three days a week? And you, you've seen more broad uh, industry-wide surveys as well. But what I heard from a few different uh, corporate real estate staff was whatever they're telling us, our employees, and we survey them a lot, we don't even get close to that in reality, right? So if, if, every, if half the people say they want to come into the office one, two, three days a week, we're seeing you know, almost no one come in even one day a week. Now, of course, the pandemic has clearly impacted what people want to do in the future, near future, and what they feel comfortable doing, and that will likely change. Um, but you could also argue, I mean, it's good on them for doing the survey data. I think that's a, a very much a, a, a best practice to figure out what kind of workplace software do you need to buy. But th there's also some uncertainty there that, that makes it hard to, to know what you want to buy. Uh, but you are going to be hearing from a lot of these companies because, you know, those are huge rounds. Yeah, those are huge rounds. And they're also like, in order to get that much capital, you have to have a certain amount of traction to even start, right? So it seems like... I, I'm struck by the word that you use, white space, given how many companies there are and how much yeah. assumed traction they must have, right? Yeah. Um, I think Rise got bought by VTS for like 100 million, if I'm correct. I think that sounds right? about right. I think it was disclosed. I think it was, it, yeah, yeah. So back into that, back into the revenue per square foot, like you could back into right, that. Right, right. Like yeah. They had a pretty good, yeah. they had a pretty good like traction before they got bought. And that's yeah. just one company. So it just seems yeah. like there's some good momentum here. Yeah. Cohesion, cohesion is another one, right? So right. cohesion just raised a pretty, pretty big series A. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're kind of hybrid between a smart building platform, having some tenant amenity capabilities, I think a yeah. digital twin capability in there. Um, What's interesting to me here from an integration standpoint is that you can start down this road of tenant engagement, occupant engagement, and mm -hmm. not have to integrate with anything until you start to, you know, you could do room booking, you could do visitor management, you could do yeah. a lot of stuff until you get to the point where you need to mess with access control systems, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I think Jacinda talked about there being a good roadmap here, which is like, there's some easy to knock off things, right? Yeah. And then there's access control systems and those are their own sort of animal, right? Yeah, um, yeah. 
And so yeah. it seems like that's the kind of the gateway. Yeah. Yeah. But that just feels like it's like the gateway into the back of the house. You, you know, you start to mess with access control, elevator control, you get into temperature right. control for the tenant. Right. And now, now you're fully into this back of the house platform once you start to enable yeah. the more and more use cases. Super I interesting. I think one area that we haven't seen, the workplace platforms, I don't think have really moved like fully back of the house. I think work order management is probably the simplest place to start with. A, if you think of that dichotomy, front of house, back of house, mm -hmm. I think we'll see more of that without a doubt. Um, I also think to your other point, just to, to, uh, to maybe put a bow on, on this, this, this category. I think it, we're going to hear a lot more. So this is a topic we can probably revisit, you know, if, if we do another, or when we do another one of these podcasts, there's just one very high valuations. I would argue there, the valuations of these companies is probably even a little more elevated because there's just this thought people are going to spend a lot of money to bring their employees back. Uh, mm. There's going to be a surge, maybe even for multiple years of spend to improve the workplace experience. And these companies are well positioned. That also leads you know, capital providers to say, yeah, yeah we like this trend. We, we want to be involved. We want to ride this wave. Uh, yeah. We'll see how it actually plays out. Um, but I, I tend to think that's driving some of this. Uh, and I would also say uh, maybe right before the pandemic, this was a white space. And now it's actually very quickly become yeah. not so much a white space, but uh, you know, somewhat fragmented. Though you could point to at least a handful, five, ten companies that most likely will be in, you know, you know in influential and significant in, in, in this market. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, that was fun. I had a lot of fun. I learned a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's fun uh, to talk about this and to share it with the community and you know to anyone who wants to listen. Yeah. Yeah, and we're gonna post this on LinkedIn. So Joe and I would love to see feedback. You think we're full of shit? Let us know. Uh, yeah. you, you want us to do this again? Let us know. Um, so Joe, do you want to just conclude for us kind of kind of what are the overall trends you're you're thinking about right now? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of big trends around real estate, uh, bringing people back to the office, using our space more flexibly, uh, better data about how the space is being utilized will become more important as it's being used less consistently. So platforms and, and technology and software and sensors that help with that theme, are, are very, very uh, of high interest from a lot of different companies. You're also seeing energy management, ESG, continue to become a, a, a big deal for a lot of corporate commercial real estate firms as well. Um, so a platform there makes sense. And I would say, uh, you know, PropTech, we haven't talked about this a lot, but generally PropTech is an area where there's a lot of opportunity to digitize, to change paper-based and manual processes into if not completely automated, somewhat automated and augmented between technology and staff. So there's a lot of just if you will, megatrends. I don't use that term often, but but megatrends that are driving interest in buildings, in how we use our real estate, and that's leading to investment in technology. Uh, you're also seeing uh, a whole host of different companies, from big companies trying to, to buttress capabilities they have today, smaller companies that say, look, if, if we work with or merge with this peer of ours or acquire this peer of ours, we become a bigger player, we become more significant, and that allows them to establish something of a beachhead and there's just a lot of new categories. I think the, the level of innovation, we didn't really talk about indoor air quality, but now you, you can buy sensors that can just very accurately monitor current indoor air from VOCs, CO2, which can, can be a, a, an analog for ventilation, temperature, so on and so forth. We have data and research that people work better, are more productive when the space is, is a healthier space. Same with yeah. space utilization sensors. I remember you know, back when I was a product manager, even 10 years ago, we lamented how, man, if 
if we knew how many people were in each room or in each floor, we could do a much better job of, of building a model for measurement and verification, right? We could actually, you know, with those data, weather plus occupancy, that gives you a, a more mm -hmm. accurate model, which you can then use to, to quantify the savings of any type of project you, you implement uh, or ECM you implement. So um, now we have that capability, right? Th those are real capabilities that, that are viable in the market, work well. Um, you know, so there's areas where you can do things now that you couldn't do in the past. Uh, but some of those are are more on the, the realm of a point solution that I think will become yeah. part of a bigger solution. Uh, I, I also just lastly say, there's a lot of acquisitions. I mean, I have the newsletter. I have a list on, on, on my website of just all the acquisitions I track over the, been doing this now for five or six years. Um, there's certainly uh, a lot of surprise that I see where I, I see, wow, you know, I didn't expect that. I think we'll see more of that. I think it, it will continue to be a little bit surprised. Awesome. Well, thanks, Joe. Yes. And uh, I hope we can do this again. Uh, thank you for thank the you. insights. Thank you, James. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart buildings industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day. Thank you.